God bless you for being here today. And Hey, I'm going to ask you if you would just to turn down the keys just a little bit in the monitors. And let me just welcome you. Today, God is, I believe, is going to speak to you in a powerful way. Today is, again, it's one of those kind of holler back kind of messages. I want you to preach it back to me, okay? That, that means when you hear something that God has just spoken to you, it's all right to say amen. It's all right. In, in, in fact, you know, we had a party in the first service. That's what all the stuff on the ground is. You'll find out more about that at the end of service. But it's a huge announcement you don't want to miss. But hey, I'm going to ask you to do something. Let me just go ahead and kind of break the ice and give you the opportunity to interact in a loud way today. Take your Bibles out with me and turn to Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. If I were to give a subtitle to the closing week of this series, Start to Finish, it would be that you are anointed to finish. You're anointed to finish. Let me start the same way that I've begun each week, and that's with this foundational premise. It's one thing to have the faith to start something. It's another thing to have the faith to finish it. It's one thing to start out boldly for God, but allow something that is contrary to your comfort level to come, and your enthusiasm takes a screeching halt. There's this paradoxical thought that once you have momentum and movement, that things become easier, but, but it's really just the opposite. Momentum and movement in your life is always met with resistance. Are you with me? Let me explain that. For many of us, we started a diet on New Year's. It was our New Year's resolution. And things are going well for you, and you're gaining traction, and you're gaining momentum, but then all of a sudden, your belly begins to crave some things that you once were giving it, and you now are not. You have a desire to have a change in your appearance, but your belly begins to overrule your desire to push through to the change. Your belly begins to speak to you and you listen to it so you stop your diet. Are you with me? I think this applies to so many areas of our lives. We start a budget, but we don't finish it. We start uh, a diet, but we don't finish it. We start marriages that we end. We start relationships that we end. Hello? There's a spiritual principle here as well. We, we call out to God, God, give us change. God, we need change in our lives. We want something better in our lives. We want something new in our lives. God, give it to us as if God is going to come down like this genie in a bottle and just sweep away all of the problems, difficulties. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that God cannot do that. What I am saying is that God generally doesn't work that way. If you want change in your life, he's going to first begin to change you he's going to stretch you he's going to mold you he's going to manipulate you he's going to maneuver you you see the deal is if you desire change in your life if you desire new things in your life you must be willing to experience the process that God uses to bring about those new things And sometimes that's the death of an old thing that you've been holding on to maybe that's prophetic for someone in Each week I've given you a a principle for the day. Today's principle is this, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. And that is, it's not training, or no, excuse me, it's not trying, it's training. 
it's not trying, it's training. Touch your neighbor and say, are you training? And the neighbor that you did not choose, touch them and say, are you training? Listen, I want to take an opportunity this morning to build this concept that it's not trying, it's training. And I think today God's going to give you a word that's going to cause a paradigm shift. You're going to begin to view your situations from a different perspective. You're going to see that trying is not enough, but training is what you need to do. In fact, I'm going to take you to our learning lab, Isaiah chapter 43. If you've been here for this series, you know that we've started out each week in Isaiah chapter 43, where God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he begins to tell us something that we need to hear. It's the mouthpiece of God, if you will. That's who Isaiah is. In verse 18, he says something to us that I think that by now you probably know some of this by heart. Hopefully, it will begin to resonate in your spirit. And maybe by the end of this series, which is today, it will begin to resonate in your spirit throughout 2014. How many of you know that's what God's word is supposed to do? It's supposed to be active in our lives. Here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 18. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell upon the past. The former things that he's making reference to are all of the incredible things that God has done. And when he's poured out his grace, he's done some incredible things in your life. Like when you've made choices and decisions that were absolutely wrong and God came down and he cleaned up the mess in spite of you. Like when you had more month than you had money, somehow God delivered. Hello? Or when you made these choices and made mistakes but, and failures, but yet God just still showed up in your life and poured out His grace. How many of you have received the grace of God in your life? Come on and give Him praise for the grace. Come on, just put your hands together and give Him praise for the grace. Look at verse 19. Uh, verse 19, he says, See, I am doing a new thing. Say new thing. I'm doing a, a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Now, the new thing that he is making reference to here, he's saying that what you just praised me for, the things that I've done in the past, they were cool, but what I'm about to do is incredible. The things that I've done in the past for you and pouring out grace, they pale in comparison to what I'm about to do. I'm I'm trying to give you this visual image, and if you think back to like 1998, and, and you had a computer, and you put the computer on your desk, it pretty much took up the whole desktop. That was cool then, but now in 2014, there's this thing called smartphones. And the smartphone is so much greater than what that PC was in 1997 or 98. In fact, this little smartphone can do so much more than that computer could if it's an iPhone. So, I don't need the help right now. And look what he says. He says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals, they honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people that I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Yet, you have not even called upon me, O Jacob. Yet, you have not even wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. But yet, you want a new thing. Go back to verse 19. 
verse 19, he says, For see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You know what God is doing here is he's lighting a fire under your spiritual tenacity. He's saying, do you not perceive what I am about to do? That, that's the very thing that he's talking about in verse 19. Do you not perceive it? In fact, I want you to underline that. Do you not perceive it? See, some of us, we want to discover this new thing that we see in verse 19. But what God is wanting you to discover It's really, are you going to discover your calling? Let me explain that. Do you not perceive it? What he is insinuating is that he's placed a calling upon each and every one of us. And so many times we miss that calling. Now, I'm not talking about specific callings. I'm not talking about going into the ministry and being a pastor. I'm not talking about being a missionary to Liberia. I'm not talking about being a a city councilman. I'm not talking about being a mayor. I'm not talking about any of those things, being a soldier or a teacher. Those are specific callings that God gives to you. But I'm talking about the calling that He's placed upon every last one of us. We're all called. We're called to experience his doings in such a way that we are continuously exposed to the new things that God wants to do in our lives. It's a lifestyle. But you see, so many of us, we think, okay, well, if God has called us, that means we can sit back in our spiritual recliner and wait upon God to do. We want to wait upon God to do. Can can I tell you something? Verse 19, keep it up there for me. Verse 19 is not a waiting game. Verse 19 is is breaking us from the bondage of waiting and enabling us with the joy of participating in the journey that God has for us. Hello? In fact, let me ask you this question. How many of you right now, you're waiting upon God to do something in your life? You've got a need in your life. There's something that only God can do. You've got a need. Raise your hand really high. Can I ask you this question? Are you using the waiting period as a training period? Because in verse 19, he says to us, not only do you perceive it, but he also says, see, I'm doing a new thing and I'm making a new way in the wilderness. In some of your translations, it says desert. Underline that. Desert. He's promising you that there will be some dryness in your life. But then he's also saying that there will be a stream in the desert. The desert comes before the stream. In other words, it's what you do in the desert that determines how soon you make it to the stream. Are are you with me? In other words, if you're trying in the desert, you'll probably never perceive the stream. If you're only trying in the desert, you'll probably end up dying in the desert. But if you take the period before the desert and use it for training, the desert will be that much easier. Are you there? Last week, I I briefly mentioned something that I want to reacquaint you with today, and that is the concept that is present in the Bible called the already but not yet principle. 
It's a principle that's in God's word that basically says that God is the creator of the universe and he's already fashioned the end from the beginning. He knows how this thing is going to play out. But yet, for many of us, we know that that's what he's called us to do, but yet our destiny hasn't unfolded. It's the already, but not yet. We're hung out and stuck, many of us, in the not yet. It's in the not yet in our marriage. It's in the not yet period in our finances. It's in the not yet period in our relationships. It's in the not yet period with, with our kids. We're just stuck there. It's that the beginning of the wasteland, if you will. It's like the time that the very first moment that you realize that you're thirsty in the desert. The not yet experience begins. And some of you have been thirsty in the desert for quite some time. You see... God tells us that there is a promise of the stream, something new appearing in the desert, but he also forewarns us that there is a wasteland. And it's what you do in that wasteland period, that not yet period, that prepares you for the new thing, the stream, that God wants to pour out in your life. Now, now listen to me, because I don't want anyone to misquote anything that I'm saying. I am not saying that you have to earn your way to the stream. Not at all. That's God's grace. That's free. What I am saying is that in your not yet period that you are stuck in at times, you have a responsibility to prepare yourself for the outpouring of God's grace in your life. Let me illustrate this one step further and then we'll jump back to the text. God gives me messages in all kinds of different ways. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit does that. But this particular concept of it's not trying, it's training, it came from a blog that I subscribe to that I would really recommend for you to to subscribe to. It's a blog called greatleadersserve.org. It's a blog that is written by Mark Miller, who is a Christian. Some incredible blogs that he writes about. One blog that he wrote about on September 23rd of last year stuck out to me. Since then, it's been resonating in my spirit. It was a blog entitled Training versus Trying. Now, the premise of the blog was this. He went to Peru to basically scale some mountaintops at a 15,000 foot elevation this hiking expedition but before he went even though he was physically fit he did not take the opportunity to train but he came to the assumption that I will substitute training with trying harder when he got to Peru and began to ascend the mountaintops on the very first day he realized that he made the wrong assumption that there is no replacement for training and trying surely is not one in fact he he said that I I, I began to realize that it's training that makes me successful it's training that makes me better he came to this conclusion because the lady that was with him as his guide was not having any problems traversing the mountains And he felt like he was more physically fit than her. But he said, listen, why are you not having trouble and I am? And she said, well, because I've scaled the seven summits of the world at 29,000 plus feet. My life is a testimony of training because all I have done is train, train, train. And in the process of training, it's enabled me to reach the mountaintop. 
And had I not trained, I would never have seen the peaks that I have seen. Here's the spiritual principle. Many of you are not finishing what you start because you have replaced training with trying. Hello? You see, this should give you a whole new perspective. Many of you are not seeing the things that God wants to wants you to see in life the mountaintops because you're trying hard to get to the mountaintops but trying is not good enough therefore you settle for the valley experience you see this should cause you to see verse 19 in a whole new way God wants you to see new things but the reason why many of you do not see the new things is because you lack the preparedness to see those things you lack the preparation And it causes you to miss those very things. When I think about this concept, I think about Joshua in chapter 1. Joshua, who's this mighty man of God, this incredible soldier, if you will, has been given the task to lead the people to the promised land. Moses has just died, and you've got to grab this because it's an incredible story. Moses has just died, and now God has come to Joshua and said, Here's what I'm calling you to do. But before we can actually read that, I think you need to understand some of the history behind Joshua that causes him to be who he is. You need to look in Numbers chapter 13. Write this down and read this when you get home. Numbers chapter 13, verse 8. Moses, this is 40 years before. 40 years before Moses dies, he sends the the 12 spies into the... Land of Canaan. We talked about those 12 spies last week. He wanted them to bring back proof that the land was flowing with milk and honey. Well, one of the spies was Joshua. So here we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13, verse 8. It says this. It says, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. He was one of the 12 spies. Go down with me to verse 16. I want you to see something. Verse 16 says... These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, the son of Nun, the name Joshua. Now, this is powerful, and this tells us two things. Number one, this is the very beginning stages of the preparation or the training that Joshua would endure for 40 years because we know that they wandered for 40 years from this point. But but number two, there is a prophetic thing that happens here. Can I take a moment and just tell you about this prophetic thing before we move on? Can I do that? Okay, I'm taking, not giving back. So I'm taking. Understand that. That means it'll be longer, okay? (laughs) Uh, There's something that's powerful here because this just shows us that, that Moses, who's this great prophet, in prophetic fashion, he looks at Hosea and he changes the name of Hosea, which was a cool name, to Joshua. Hosea's... His name, his old name, Joshua's old name, Hosea, actually meant, and here's what's good, it actually meant salvation. Seems like a pretty cool name. But his new name, Joshua, means something even better. It it means something new. It actually means will bring salvation or will bring deliverance to people. He's a deliverer. this is, this is where it gets good. You see, aren't you thankful that God doesn't see you the way you see you? Because think about it. Joshua grew up as Hosea. Joshua grew up as Hosea, and 
Joshua went to school as Hosea. And Hosea dated girls. And Hosea made some mistakes. And Hosea, you know, he went to college as Hosea. And Joshua, you know, had his first job as Hosea. And, and he had some successes and he had some failures. But it was Hosea. But somehow, way, God looked down from the heavenlies and he saw Hosea and he said, there's something more about Hosea than Hosea even knows about himself. And he changed his name from Hosea to Joshua, which means you're going to deliver not just yourself. You're going to save not just yourself, but you're going to deliver my people, an entire nation. That's pretty good. So Joshua hangs out with Moses for 40 years. He's training with Moses. He sees Moses do some miraculous things. He sees Moses do some incredible signs and the miracles and provision and and all of these different things that are happening around Moses. He sees this incredible prophet. And he sees him do these incredible things. And so Joshua is training with him. He's exercising with him. He's, he's working. He's walking out. He's working out. He's doing aerobics. He's doing all of the stuff. Because Moses is this incredible prophet. However, God wants to do a new thing through Joshua. That's where Joshua chapter 1 begins. In fact, l- let me just read for you some of Joshua chapter 1 together. Because I think you'll see and have a better understanding of what's going on with Joshua now that I've told you all that. So you got your Bibles? Here's the deal. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. And you can imagine right now there's the mourning and the pain. They've just come through a period of mourning for Moses. But yet Joshua has been hanging out with Moses for for. 40 plus years so you know that some things are going on and then there begins this conversation between God and and Joshua says Moses my servant is dead now then you and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River and into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites verse 3 I love this promise I will give you every place where you set your feet Mm. how many of you need that kind of anointing in your life I need God's grace to go with everywhere I place my feet. That's some good stuff. Understand that verse 3 is really another way to put Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. I'm about to do a new thing. Streams are going to appear in the desert. Basically what he's saying is, I'm going to make some new things. Some streams appear in your desert. Verse 4, he begins to tell him the limits of his territory. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. And no one will be able to stand up against you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will never, here we go, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love that that promise is not conditional. It doesn't say I will never leave you nor forsake you if you walk in a perfect path. Hello, because we'd all might as well just pack up our stuff and leave right now. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, the first time you see this, he says, be strong and courageous. You can underline that. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers. I will give to them and be strong and courageous. Again, in verse 7, be careful to obey all of the law of my servant Moses that he gave you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. I, I think by now when you're reading this text, you understand that this is not a dialogue. 
This is a monologue. It's a one-sided conversation that's all coming from God's side to Joshua. I have a theory behind this. The reason why he does not give Joshua an opportunity to open his mouth is because I truly believe that he sees inside of Joshua that Joshua still sees himself as Hosea. Oh, I, I, I can't. can't I, what, what, what you're asking me to do, I, I, I can't. I, I, I would if I could, but I ain't because I can't. Has anybody ever heard that? Like when you were a kid, did you ever say that? Am I the only redneck here? Well, Joshua's a redneck, let me tell you. At least today, he's a redneck. And he was saying, I, I would if I could, God, but, but, but I ain't because I can't. Let me tell you something. The enemy will always attack what God has anointed. He will always attack what God has anointed. Think about this. Four or five, maybe even a half a dozen times, God comes to Joshua in this passage of Scripture and he says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. I mean, it's physical terms. It's training terms. Why does he do this? Why does he use these training terms? But he's not using them in a physical sense. He's using them in a spiritual sense. Why does he continue to instill into Joshua, be strong and courageous? Listen, there's two thoughts as to why he does this. The first thought is that he knows what is happening in the mind of Joshua. Joshua is sitting there thinking, okay, God, you've called me to do this. You've placed a call upon my life to lead the people into the promised land. But this, is, this promise has become a problem because we've been hearing about it for 440 years. 40 years we've been wandering around the promised land, hanging out in the desert. And Moses, this incredible prophet, he couldn't lead these people to go into the promised land. And now you're asking me, a lesser man, to lead these people. Not just any people, but one million people. And God, let me remind you that you yourself said, I don't want to be near these stiff-necked people because I'm afraid I'll kill them. And you want me to lead them? God, I don't understand this. But then you also have to know that there's this insecurity thing that is happening with Joshua. Because think about it. Think about having to step into the shoes of Moses. Who wants to follow in his steps? In fact, can, can I show you something? Back up with me if you've got your Bible open to Deuteronomy. It's just this one book, but the chapter 34, so it's basically one chapter you're backing up. Chapter 34, verses um, 10, 11, and 12. I want you to see this. Because this defines who Moses was. And Joshua is hearing this. Look what it says. It says, since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Such an intimacy here. Who did all of those signs and wonders. The Lord sent him to do in Egypt to the Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. For no one has ever shown, in some of your translations it says, there has never been and never will be another prophet like Moses. Joshua has just heard this, and Moses was not successful in leading the people to the promised land, but now God has asked him to do it. And so you know he's sitting there thinking, hold on a second, Joshua was incredible. He lifted up the staff and the Red Sea parted. 
He took the same staff and he struck the rock and millions of gallons of water flowed out of it. Moses called for manna and quail and and the pillar of fire and the cloud and the presence of God. God, Moses was incredible and you know that in the flesh, because Joshua is fleshly just like us, you know that he had to be thinking, hold on a second, God, God, are are you going to work through me the same way you did through Moses? You know that he was. Can I tell you something? The constant enemy of destiny is doubt. Hello? The constant enemy to destiny is doubt. See, let me just be transparent with you. We begin to, and this was something that I was guilty of early in my ministry. I would actually go to other pastors and want to glean information from them as to how they became successful. I saw them doing things that were really cool and really good and I saw God moving in their lives and their churches growing so I went to sit down with several different pastors from all over and, and in the process I, I thought that I would walk away with information that, that would really help me but can I be honest with you? I walked away depressed and discouraged. I was seeing what they were doing and what I was not able to do. I was seeing how God was using them and how it didn't seem like He was using me. I I, I was questioning how come they seem to have this and and I was looking at what I can't seem to have and I was like, God, doubt, doubt, doubt. I I would if if, if I could, but, but I ain't because I can't. Till the Holy Spirit began to knock me around and say, I didn't call you to be like them. I called you to be like me. You see, that's our problem. So many of us, we're trying to be like someone else. We're trying to live out someone else's calling. God didn't call you to do what others have done. God has called you to do what He's doing. You see, we've got to stop operating in everyone else's giftings. We begin to operate in the giftings of others and we wonder why doubt sets in. You see, when God came to Joshua, here's what's cool. He didn't go to Joshua and say, I'm going to replace Moses with you. You're going to be his replacement. You're going to be Moses 2.0. You're the newer, better version. It's like moving from the iPhone 4 to the 5. You're the newer, better version. You're going to be like Moses. Listen, Joshua didn't need the anointing of Moses. He needed the anointing of God. Hello, are you with me? He didn't say, I, I want you to do the same things he's done. He-, he said, I've got something new for you. In fact, in Numbers chapter 27, here again, this is the training that's going on in Joshua's life. Numbers chapter 27. Write that down and look it up when you get home. Moses does this in Numbers 27, verses 18 through 21. I'm going to read it. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership. I love that. And lay your hands upon him. So Moses does just that. Have him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eliezer, the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim and before the Lord. And at his command, here's where he begins to delineate what Joshua's calling is. At his command, the entire community of the Israelites will go out. And at his command, the entire community will come in. Hold on a second. At his command... 
the Israelites will go out and at his command the Israelites will come in. That was his duty. That was what God had called him to do. It was something different than what God had called Moses to do. See, what God is saying to us is this, and this is where you need to pay really close attention. God is saying to us, stop trying to live up to someone else's calling and live out your calling. Stop trying to live up to someone else's calling. That's what causes doubt to set in because you're trying to live up to someone else's calling because you feel like you want to operate where they're operating. Stop trying to do that. Because when you do that, you begin to make statements of doubt. You see someone else, a mother who seems to have it all together and you're like, she's got it all all together. Look at how great of a mother she is. Her kids are always clean and put together and their clothes are on right and they've got the right manners and they never seem to get out of bounds and and their grades are like straight A's. I, I wish I could be a mother like her. Or maybe you're a father and you're like, I, I wish I could be a father like him. He's got his house in control and his kids mind him and his wife, she just absolutely loves him. And, and he's got all of, that, all of that going on, but then he also has time for his hobbies. Hello? I wish I could be like him the way he runs his business because he's got this entrepreneurial spirit and, and what he touches, it turns to gold. I wish I could run my business like, like him. I, I, I wish I could be the soldier that he is or the soldier that she is. I, I wish I could. Listen, stop doubting who you are. Because if God called you, He will equip you. If God has called you, He will equip you. If God has called you, He will guide you. If God has called you, He will strengthen you. If God has called you, He will help you. If God has called you, He will promote you. If God has called you, He will position you. Because He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And when the enemy begins to strategize against you with doubt, you remind him of God's Word that I can do all things through Christ because He He's called me. This past week, I googled and did a search. How to overcome fear and doubt. And and it came back like a million different responses. Some crazy stuff. I mean, some strategies out there how to overcome fear and doubt. Like one says, if you've got a fear of heights. How many of you have a fear of heights? It says, if you have a fear of heights, then one of the strategies that you use is to go to the, to the Empire State Building and go to the lookout deck. That seems like that would work. Hey, another strategy was have some form of meditation. And in your meditation, begin to visualize yourself doing what you fear. Um, we'll call it yoga. I, I'm not knocking yoga. Just hang here with me now. Don't anybody get up and walk out in your yoga pants now. I'm serious. We visualize these things. And listen, let me just give you props. If you can fold your legs up like that, you're awesome. But, but can I be honest with you? I, I'm not knocking these strategies. These strategies probably work but they don't work like God's strategy. Can I tell you, the real strategy that you need to identify in your life is to recognize who God created you to be. When you begin to recognize who God created you to be, then His grace is going to begin to follow you into these areas. Things are going to begin to happen, and streams are going to begin to appear in your life. 
Because you're operating where he created you to operate in. Listen, I, I, I'm not trying to, to, to knock those things. And if you do those things, please, I, I'm not saying don't do them. I'm just saying find out who God says that you are. Listen, when I first was called to, to pastor this church, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I had some doubts. I had some doubts. I was like, God, do I have the skill set? Do I have the ability? God, am I talented enough? God, God how will this affect my family? God, how is this going to affect me? God, will the people like my style? God, will the people like me? I really didn't wonder on that one too long because I know everybody loves me, you know. I'm just saying and all. Let me give an amen because I'm not getting one amen. Um, (laughs) At least I hope so. Until God said, hold on a second. You're looking at this from the wrong perspective. You see, everything that you have gone through in your life, the successes and the failures, the mistakes and the wins, all of those things were training to prepare you for where you are at this very moment. I did all of that stuff in your life to prepare you for such a time as this because I wanted you to know that my grace is enough for you to overcome those doubts and you'll be able to do what I've created you to do. So stand up as an anointed man of God and lead on. You see, what he's saying to you is that his grace is more than enough for you to be the mom that you need to be. His grace is more than enough for you to be the dad that you need to be. His grace is more than enough for you to be the business leader that you need to be. His grace is more than enough for you to be the soldier that you need to be. His grace is more than enough for you to overcome the problems that you are facing. His grace is more than enough. And then... There's something beautiful that happens in the next verse. Um, In fact, go back with me to verse 3. When you begin to walk in the grace of God, when you begin to walk in His grace, I'm going to read this, and you may get it up beforehand, but when you begin to walk in His grace, something happens. When you begin to walk in the rhythm of His grace, Something happens, and I know that doesn't look too rhythmic, so let me get it more rhythmic. (laughs) When you begin to walk in the rhythm of His grace, His promises begin to unfold in your life. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, I will give you every place that you place your feet. Everywhere you put your foot down, I'm going to give it to you. Everywhere that you step for me, I'm going to give it to you. So if you step in your finances, my grace is going to be there. If you step in your marriage, my grace is going to be there. If you step in your, in your occupation, my grace is going to be there. If you continue to step with raising your kids and you walk in me, my grace is going to be there. You're going to begin to pick up rhythm and stride and motion and movement. You're still going to have resistance, but you're going to overcome the devil. Why? Because I've created you not for failure, but to conquer the things that are coming against you. Why? Because walk in my grace, because... Because my grace is more than enough. I think I'm preaching better than you're responding. However, I'm going to take it. Here's the deal. You need to see this. When I think about this grace thing, obviously we think about the hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet. The sound that saved. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful song. 
But when I think about this concept of everywhere you place your feet, like here's grace, there's grace, here's grace, and oh yeah, there's grace. I, I think about a nursery rhyme. I, I know I'm crazy, but a nursery rhyme comes to my mind. It's like, here's grace, there's grace, everywhere's a grace, grace. Oh my God, who makes me strong. Here I, here I go. The first service liked that better than you. <laughs> it takes a lot of guts to get up here and do that, I'm telling you. Here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to say. God's will is not passive. It's not a sitting will. We don't sit down and wait. We, we, we get up and go. It's where you place your feet for God, where His grace begins to follow. God's will is not passive. Can I tell you something? I, I want you to think about this with me for a moment because some of you are saying, well, Pastor Mark, I'd love to get up and walk. I'd love to get up and step towards God. I'd love to get up and, and do something, but my problem is bigger than, than me. You're right. It is bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God. You're saying my situation is more than I can do. I, I, I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it, but God's grace can. Think about this with me for a moment. God did not say, and some of you are going to be offended and you just be offended, but God did not say to Joshua, Joshua, I'm going to give you every place that you place your butt. He said, I'm going to give you every place that you place your feet. It was not his butt. It was his feet. It was not his sitting. It was his going. It was not him sitting still and waiting on God. It was his training process that he began to walk towards God. Now, here's what's beautiful about this, because I don't know if you've connected the dots. For 40 years, they've been outside of the promised land. For 40 years, this has been a promise, plus 400 years when they were in slavery. So for 440 years, they've been thinking about this promise. But for 440 years, it's really not been a promise. It's been a problem. Do you know why it's been a problem? Because they haven't been able to conquer it. You know, sometimes you'll be thinking about the destiny that God has for you, and rather than it encouraging you, it becomes a discouragement because you don't seem to be able to grab it. But notice what he said to Joshua. He said, I want you to begin to step. I want you to begin to move towards the problem. Not away from the problem, but begin to step towards the problem. Because when you step towards the problem, that's when my grace begins to show up. Don't run away from it. Head first into it because I'm going to begin to do some things in your life that you haven't been able to do for yourself. Some of you are running away from it, expecting God to do it when God is commanding you to step into it so that he can expose his grace. Mm, that was pretty good too. Let me give you something that you can tweet because some of you like to tweet stuff from the sermon. Let me, let me just say this. If you want expanded territory, then you need to put your feet in the awkward position of walking. You need to get up and, and go. Let me begin to wind this thing down. I'll, no, let, let me not begin to wind this thing down. Let, let me... Can, can I just take another second and add something here? Because I feel it in my spirit and I was going to jump over it, but I don't, I don't need to jump over this. Some of you are, are saying, well, Pastor Mark, I have been walking and my feet are calloused. I am worn out. Psalms chapter 84, verses 5, 6, and 7 speaks to that. Psalms 84, verses 5, 6, and 7. Here, here's God. He's writing this psalm. It says, And how blessed all of those whom you live, whose lives become roads that you travel. 
about movement. It's about everywhere you place your foot. They wind through some lonesome valleys. How many of you have been in a valley? They wind through some lonesome valleys. They come upon brooks. They discover the cool springs and the pools brimming with with rain. And, And God traveled these roads. I love that. God has already... Remember the already but not yet? God has already traveled these roads. They curve up the mountain and at the last they turn to Zion. And God is in full view. I don't know if this is resonating with you yet. So back up to verse 6. I want you to see this. It says you've traveled some winding, lonesome roads. They've ended up in the valley. But here's what's beautiful. In the valley, God caused there to be a brook. He took all of the dew that was forming on the mountainsides and he gathered it up and he poured it into the brook. He grabbed all of the rain. He went ahead of you. You see, it may not be raining in your life right now. It may not rain today, but rain is coming in your finances. It may not rain tomorrow with your family, but rain is coming in your family. It may not rain tomorrow in your career, but rain is coming in your family. Why? Because all you have to do is know that you're not trying, but I'm training I'm walking towards God and He will cause a stream to appear in the desert. He will cause me to rise up and to be victorious. I am not defeated, but I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ who loves me. Touch somebody and say, I'm training for the rain. Here's where I'm going to wind down and whoever's playing, come on back. Verse 8, let me show you something. Joshua, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, says, do not, be, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouths. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. He's talking about the Word of God. We've talked about reading the Bible in this series. We've talked about being in God's Word. Listen, We read to get through the Bible, but we pray to get the Bible through you. Or or, or let me say, through us. We read to get through the Bible, but we pray to get the Bible through us. He's saying, make sure that you do that. And then look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people. Go through the camp. Listen, he didn't wait. He got to step and he got to moving because he remembered. God said, everywhere I place my feet. So first I'm going to start with my people. And he said, go through the camp and tell the people to get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. And the Lord your God is giving you this land for your own. Now, now grab this. The calling of God upon your life is contagious. When you begin to live out the calling of God upon your life, it spills upon the lives of others and their lives are changed and impacted because of what you're doing. It spills out. This is an opportunity for you. Let me just push e-groups. We've got e-groups, our small groups that are starting next week and the following week. If you're not involved in an e-group, you need to sign up because there are people in this church who would love to build community and relationships with you in a small group setting and further their walk with God. And you need to be doing that. You need to be meditating on God's Word day and night and build community. In fact, the Bible says that in the early church in the book of Acts that 
they had everything in common. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer and fellowship. You've got to be devoted to those things. That's what e-groups is all about. Sign up today outside in the Welcome Center. Look, it goes on to say this. It says, but the Reubenites and the Gadites, in verse 12, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. You see, they're not going to go across the Jordan. But look what happens. It says, but all of your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. For you are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land. Verse 16, it says, then they answered Joshua. Here's what's beautiful. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. I love that. But let me say this. Where are they going to go? Remember I said that there were two reasons why God said be courageous and be strong. Here's the second. The very next chapter exposes their nemesis. Their nemesis is Jericho. In order to get to the promised land, they've got to go through. Remember I said the enemy will constantly attack what God has anointed. Here's the very first attack. There is this place, Jericho, this fortified city that the walls are too big, they're too tall you cannot break through them but something happens in Joshua chapter 6, turn there with me if you've got your Bibles, let me read this to you, Joshua chapter 6 you remember that God had already given Joshua the battle plan Remember, he said, everywhere you place your feet, I'm going to give it to you. So what he's beginning to do in Joshua is to prepare him for the battle, but he's not telling them to use swords. He's telling them to use their sandals. In fact, he says to Joshua, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather up all of these mighty men and I want you to begin to march, begin to walk, begin to place your feet around Jericho. This is the very first opportunity that they had to do the promise and to experience the promise of his grace. Begin to walk around Jericho, not one time, not two times, not three times, not four times, not five times, not even six times, but seven times. Seven times because seven is the number of completion in the Bible. And when you get to number seven, something's going to happen, Joshua. Verse 15 of chapter 6, and this is how we close. It says, on the seventh day they got up daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner except on that day they circled the city seven times the seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast Joshua commanded the people shout for the Lord has given you the city I don't know if this is ringing out in your spirit yet or not but everywhere you place your feet I'm going to give it to you so, so all of God's people shout for the Lord has given you the city come on The city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. Verse 20, go on down to verse 20. Let me skip a few verses. It says this, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. 
So every man charged straight in and they took the city. You see, they had been traveling and training, not trying, but training. They had been stepping towards God. And when they saw Jericho, they didn't allow them walls. They didn't allow them to stop them. They began to walk and they began to say, God is our provider. God is my healer. And I may have a wall around my finances, but I'm going to continue to walk. I'm going to walk in His training. I'm going to walk in His love. I'm going to walk in His grace. I'm going to walk in His well-doings. I'm going to walk in His promises. And I may be going through hell right now, but I know that all of heaven is going to break out in my life. Before you can walk, you've got to stand. Come on up and praise the Lord. Stand up, rise up and praise Him, for He is worthy. Remain standing. Here's what's so cool about Joshua, and this is how it all ties together, is that Joshua was lesser than Moses. But Joshua accomplished more than Moses because he stayed focused on what God called him to do. Is that not beautiful? Because it doesn't have anything to do with your talents, your resources, your abilities. It has everything to do with His grace. Hi, thank you so much for joining us on our internet campus today. We'd love to hear how this message blessed you. You can send an email to admin at yourepicenter.com. You also have the ability to donate to this ministry if you go to www.yourepicenter.com. Again, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day.